I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Three guests this week, two segments. Really enjoyed these conversations. First up, we have a roundtable. Myself, Chad Finn, and big lead editor-in-chief Kyle Coster. I should mention Chad Finn, of course, from the Boston Globe. And we discuss showing replays of injuries on NFL broadcasts. We are all in agreement that that was the most honest moment of last week's Dolphins Bengals game. We realize we are in the minority there, and most fans probably thought there were too many replays. But you'll hear that discussion as to why we thought how we did, how brain injuries are talked about on air, the performance of Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet during that that uh, to his injury. Get into a little bit of Amazon's uh, Week Four viewership. They continue to do well. Will a TV deal for Live Golf ever happen? And will any sponsors want to be a part of it? and complaints over college football cut-ins for Aaron Judge, as well as a little NHL talk. They are followed by J.A. Adande, who has been on this podcast before. J.A. is the director of sports journalism at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, longtime, obviously, ESPN LA Times writer. He is the editor of a new anthology, Year's Best Sports Writing 2022. That is the annual book on uh, the best American and, I guess, now Canadian sports writing. Very uh, exciting to see that come out. And J.A. discusses the editing process for that book, what he was looking for with submissions, finding stories that reflect the current moment in sports, and where we are in long-form sports journalism. I want to thank everybody who's uh, been leaving some really um, nice reviews. I, uh, as I said, uh, um, you leave a, a five-star review and a, a nice note, and I will be happy to uh, acknowledge you, which I will uh, do at the end of uh, this uh, podcast. All right, so we start with Chad Finn and Kyle Coster, and then we finish with J.A. Donde on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, it's always great to have uh, sports media conversations, and I am joined by a regular on this podcast, Boston Globe Sports Media writer Chad Finn, and someone who I've known for a long time and has not been on this iteration of the podcast, I believe was on the Sports Illustrated one, and that's the big lead editor-in-chief Kyle Costner, who is a longtime writer for that side and is now morphed up into management. He's, uh, he's a decision maker. And welcome, Chad and Kyle, to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Rich. All right, here I want to start um, with the – this is something that uh, – Kyle wrote a great piece on this. Um, I put it in The Athletic. I know there are a couple other people who, um, who cited it. And I want to start with the topic of showing – replays of injuries on NFL broadcasts. This topic obviously could extend beyond the NFL, and we've certainly seen brain injuries happen in soccer and hockey and, and many other sports, but let's sort of just keep it to the NFL for now because, um, you know, obviously so much of this is centered around uh, Tua. And so I wrote this week that, and I echoed what Kyle said, and I'll bring him in in a second, but like my piece on The Athletic was just basically that, like, you know, amid a world where 
the broadcasters and the networks are in bed financially with each other. And amid a world where broadcasters are only going to go so far when it comes to discussions of like what I would call third rail issues, um, brain injuries are certainly one of them. You never hear broadcasters criticize owners. I mean, if you can find, you know, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit criticizing Jimmy Haslam or or Stan Kroenke or anybody, please send it to me. I'm happy to highlight it. I'm still waiting for it. But, you know, the most honest thing in that broadcast between the Dolphins and the Bengals, to me, and I think Kyle's going to agree with me on this, was showing multiple replays of that injury. And while it is very hard to watch, and it is painful. And if I was a family member, obviously it would be particularly painful. I, I, I just cannot advocate more to show this because I think it like it illuminates the tension of the NFL. This beautiful game that has so much violence that these people end up um, really paying the price for our pleasure down the road. And if nothing else, I feel like we owe them the honesty of showing the replays. And that's where I side on. I know that's where Kyle sides on. And I'm sure we are in the minority when it comes to NFL viewers. So, Kyle, you wrote a great piece. I absolutely recommend it. Uh, you can Google Kyle and the big lead or find him on Twitter. But just rather than me sort of uh, um, read your piece, just offer my listeners just sort of what you were thinking and, and why you decided to write this. Well, you know, I think, first of all, I don't have the answers. I kind of approached the job in writing what I'm feeling, what my opinion is, and I'm more interested in how other people are processing it. And I think in the moment, the only metric, the only way for me to gauge that is to look on Twitter. And I don't know if that's a good way to do it, but it's the only way that I have. And as soon as the Tua thing happened, you know, the prayer emojis come out and the oh no's come out. And after replay after replay, the conversation shifts from, is this guy okay? who just suffered what looked like a catastrophic injury to excoriating Amazon for showing the replay over and over again. And to me, I found that to be really disingenuous on the viewer's behalf. We can argue about what responsibility viewers have while watching football. It's not their fault that football happened and someone got hurt, but it just seems to me that you can't enjoy this thing. You can't engorge yourself on it go overboard, treat it as this sanctuary as it's become like past America's pastime to America's obsession, and then bristle when you're confronted with the reality of what the sport is. And we all know what the sport is, and we see injuries every single Sunday, and we see terrible injuries. But this was a special occasion where you have a young face of the NFL, someone who is coming off four days previously collapsing to the ground with what was deemed a back injury when everybody with eyes could see that he had hit his head. Someone who discussion during the week was predicated on if he was going to play and if he was going to be in more danger. So to me, it all dovetailed into this one moment where if not now, when? Like this was the time where people could not look away. I think that it's very uncomfortable, but I also think that it's, like you said, the only honest thing that you see because these broadcasts are streamlined to essentially be commercials for the NFL. As you've said, the announcers call the owners Mr. Last Name. There's this reverence and respect where the hard-hitting issues are never really tackled. 
and this was visceral. You see it with your eyes. You see to his fingers bend over something that we've rarely seen before. And I think for me, I, when I wrote it in the moment, I just wrote what I felt. And I felt a little bit disgusted with myself for continuing watching, for w wondering how this affected the bets I had in on the game. And I think it's really important for people to pause at least once in a while and grapple with what they're addicted to and what that addiction does to the bodies of the people who play it. Chad, I actually didn't ask you how you felt about um, uh, network showing replays prior to coming on. So I'd be curious because, you know, maybe you disagree with, uh, with how Kyle and I see this one. How do you see it? No, I don't disagree. Um, I'd love to disagree uh, just for the sake of the podcast, but um, I, I think it's absolutely necessary to show it. Maybe not repeatedly. I was a little surprised to turn on my uh, TV up here to yesterday and see them show a couple of different replays where it got to the point where um, you know they're showing his hands and what was going on uh, as, as he's laying prone on the turf there. Uh, I, I don't know if you need to see it as much a few days after the fact, but in the moment, I think we did. Um, you, you, you need that reminder of what these guys are putting through and uh, uh, put themselves through to play this game. And beyond that, uh, I, I think it's because we all saw it, it's going to lead to actual consequences here that uh, end up, uh, you know, uh, making teams even more cautious about putting players back in the field. I mean, this is a, um, this is going to turn into a referendum again about Thursday night football because players have talked for years and years about how you're just not right Thursday after playing on Sunday. And this is an extreme situation, uh, extreme example of that because of what Tua went through on Sunday. We all saw it. We all knew uh, it, it was worse than what they were saying. And then for him to go back out there when you have, uh, you know, like Chris Nowitzki, uh, the, the, the former, uh, the, the uh, Harvard uh, uh, CTE, uh, former player, uh, brain expert, uh, saying there's no way he should play this game Thursday before he went out there and had this happen. Uh, hopefully it adds to the NFL's caution in, in putting players back on the field and putting them in these situations. So I think in that sense, we did need to see it. I don't know if I needed to see it uh, four or five days after it actually happened again, but uh, in the moment, absolutely. Kyle, I want to uh, ask you about the, the game broadcasters and we'll focus on this just because this, this happened to be the game where um, Tua got hurt. Um, I found uh, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet incredibly underwhelming when it came to describing this. And um, I will say that, the, the, as I wrote, the whole system is essentially designed to get you to the next play. It's not designed to have a discussion about brain injuries and health and safety. And, and again, I'll be clear on this. Like, I get that there are millions and millions of football fans who don't want these discussions during games. Like, I, I know I'm in the minority on this. And so, Kyle, I'll, I'll go to you first. Um... I, I, I guess I just, I wish that broadcaster, not, not only do I, you know, sort of wish that broadcaster sort of had more um, inherent knowledge of brain injuries and, and maybe were more educated, but just beyond that, I, 
I wish that we weren't so quick to go on to the next play. And even by the third quarter, Herb Street was talking about like, uh, you know, big booming tackle and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It was like it was like the we had moved on to the third act or the second act of the play. And I'm not saying I have the answer for this. I could just only tell you my visceral reaction was uh, Michaels and Herb Street. I feel like just like they did pro forma. They talked about it quickly and then we move on. How did you see it? I think that that's fair. I also think it's kind of an impossible situation for them because the first broadcaster to do that is going to be like the astronaut going on the moon. And they're going to be greeted with so much blowback, both, I would assume, internally uh, in some form or fashion, and then also from the general public. Because if there's one thing we can agree on is that we are in the minority and wanting that discussion to infiltrate our football game. Um, I think Part of the reason in the immediate aftermath, I think that it's so stunning that it's really tough to decide how you want to frame the conversation. I mean, we kind of have a script here where it's reverent tone, reverent tone. There's sad injury music on Fox has become kind of a thing. Uh, it's We just accept it as kind of the routine nature of it. And I think that the audience wants to move on just as much as the game broadcasters do. I think later in the game when news came out that Tua had feeling in his extremities, it kind of gave everybody a free pass to breathe a sigh of relief. And then the conversation turns to, well, maybe he has a cushion, concussion, but this is not something that we're worried about being potentially fatal or career ending in that moment. So I understand why maybe the tone and tenor changed a little bit, but I if I would just turn this back on you and ask, do you think in your lifetime you would you'll ever see something like that? I'll let Chad go after me. No, I don't. I I I don't think in my estimation, at the end of the day, the broadcasters, and I'm not saying Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. when I say broadcasters, I'll be more specific. Those who broadcast the National Football League are in partnership with the National Football League. The the entire ecosystem exists to have this incredible product on air and to sell advertising time around it, so that ev- so that the the places that buy or purchase the product, which in this case are the ESPNs and CBSs, for billions of dollars, can make up those billions of dollars through whatever means that they do that, and obviously that's through viewership and stuff and anything. To me, that would really have a chance to interrupt that business, Kyle. We'll never, we'll never get past the surface. Um, I mean, I think Costas hit it a little bit, and uh, you know, in his pregame stuff, and eventually, like that tension between the NFL and NBC, he, he eventually was run out of Dodge. But I don't even think he went to the point where it could really be impactful. I mean, the NFL at the end of the day, I think. I do think they care about player safety, but I think they care about economics more than anything else. And quite frankly, in many ways, I think the broadcast networks care about viewership and entertainment more than anything else. They're not, they're not in a, how do I say this? They occasionally will do journalism, but they're, that, the game broadcasts are not journalism. They're entertainment. So Chad, I'll go to you. I don't think in our lifetime, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it's another 30, 40 years or whatever. I don't think we'll <laughs> ever, uh, I don't think we'll ever see it. I don't, I don't think we'll ever honestly see real, discussions about brain injuries and 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 you know a, a, an NFL broadcast taking six or seven minutes to talk about that between plays no way it, it'll I don't think that'll ever happen on game broadcasts 
yeah, it'll happen in studio shows. But as I try to point out in my column, there's a big difference between 26 million people watch listening to a conversation and 3 million people listening to a conversation. Yeah. I would, I really don't think we'll ever have that length of a conversation talking about something like this during a game. I mean, the way they handle it is sort of standard and it, it, uh, it's unbecoming in the uh, same sense. Uh, you know, they went to commercial during the game uh, while he was on the field. They come back. I think he was already being uh, put on the uh, uh, stretcher board there to be taken off. And I kind of got the sense that Herb Street didn't really know what to say. And Al Michaels, um, you know, as great as he is, and I actually miss him on the Sunday night broadcasts, uh, it kind of had a... Uh, I've seen this a million times sort of vibe to it. Um, you know, see all the years he's been calling football. Uh, so many players obviously have been injured and suffered concussions. And this was a, uh, you know, it's a particularly brutal one, but it kind of had that sense of, uh, um, you know, that we've been through this before. And with the halftime show, um, I think they suffered from one, not really having journalists on there uh, and two, having inexperienced analysts uh you know ryan fitzpatrick talked about Tua being his friend and he's having a hard time with that um richard sherman didn't really add much to the conversation and they went the whole halftime without mentioning that Tua had been uh, tested for a concussion those four days ago and and that the players association request uh, requested that investigation so um you know they they did not do what they should have done in the halftime. Probably, I think a factor in that probably is these guys haven't worked together that much. Um, they weren't really sure what they could say and what they couldn't, but uh, it was a letdown to watch the way that Amazon handled it in the moment. Yeah, I, I, I you know, again, I, I, to be fair, I think, I think a lot, of, first of all, I think the post game was much better. So we'll sort of give them a lot of credit yeah, for I that. Yeah, I think they went on Twitter and saw the criticism. I, no, listen, it, I, I can tell you, I think Chad, to Kyle, to any of us who have reported on this at all, know that there's people monitoring social media for all these companies. It's just, I mean, they should. Like, you're in business. I mean, I monitor social media. Kyle monitors social media. Chad does. The Boston Globe does. Like, you have to. You have to know what people are saying about your your business or brand or whatever. So, yeah, um, I have no doubt that at a at a base level, there was a producer who at least told the uh, post game show that, hey. Um, let's give this some more time. People are talking about it on social media, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, um, you know, the sort of the, 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 the point, Chad, that I think you do make that's important is that I do think this group, as they get more, uh, reps, will, will, will get better. I think they'll just be more comfortable to sort of figure out like what they want to say and how they want to say it. But again, I'm also realistic. I've watched, too many pregame shows um, over the course of doing this stuff, which is why I, I honestly want to jump out of a window right now. <laughs> and it just, it just in many ways, it, it ultimately, there's sort of a pattern to a lot of these pregame shows and they're really never going to change. I mean, it, it's, and, and I get it. Like, again, if I worked for one, like it's supposed to be about entertainment and it's supposed to be about getting excited for the game and these kind of conversations, like bring that energy down. You can't be, uh, you know, you can't be Randy Moss or Boomer Esiason throwing a football <laughs> around on set and like talking about like the worst ales of the game. Like it's just it's incongruent. Right. And so I uh, so I get that. So, yeah, it'll be 
I think just to be fair, and I, I think we try to at least do that on this podcast, is like uh, whatever Amazon's studio is, like week 15, is going to be much different than week three or four. Like it's just that's the reality of it. You get better. You figure it out. Um, I don't think Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Richard Sherman are like, you know, have been told by Roger Goodell and company not to say X. That's not how it works. You just It's live TV, and you got to sort of figure out um, who you are in live TV. Um it's not the most elegant segue here, but I do want to <laughs> talk about uh, viewership. Um, the Dolphins-Bengals game, and again, Amazon got another good game in terms of like two two teams, um, one with Super Bowl aspirations in the Bengals, one obviously that got off to a great start in the Dolphins. Um, they averaged 11.7 million viewers per Nielsen, and then based on Amazon's... Um, you know, first party numbers. I like to call that the Alano Russo, Tim Buckman first party numbers chat. <laughs> um, they drew uh, 13.4 uh, million according to their metrics. So, Kyle, I'll go to you. The reality is, like, Amazon is, I, 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 I candidly, they're doing better than I thought at this point in terms of viewership. They're, they're not going to get what Fox did as a linear product, but they're kind of holding the number as to what they, you know, thought they might be around advertisers. They're getting close to 12 million viewers for a Thursday night football game, which, quite frankly, is very good in in today's universe. So, as a viewership story, which was going to be one of the biggest stories for Amazon this year, they have a very good story to tell right now. I agree, and I think the good news is that both the NFL and the Amazon and and Amazon will continue to be in business. Uh, the ratings will. Uh prove that this is a viable partnership. Who could have seen it coming? No, I think I, I've been impressed. I mean, I I, I come up, I come from it. I come at it from a place of not really liking the streaming broadcast. The Thursday night first game was the first sporting event I think I've watched on streaming outside of maybe something on Peacock. It's not really part of how I consume sports, and I I straight up don't like it. And I've been honest about that. But obviously, the world is changing, and people are malleable, and they're willing to go the extra mile if it's for football. And I think that's the biggest surprise to me because when I look at it as kind of like a societal story, my thought was that Amazon Prime would be something that didn't really resonate with middle America, the average football viewer who wants the convenience of flipping their TV on. Obviously, I was wrong. It's only going to get better. I know that there's some real stinkers coming up on the schedule that we may see a dip, but I think to go out there and put this on the board in the first year uh, to avoid disaster, I kind of think all they had to do was avoid disaster because you can always spin the story and saying, look, this is year one. This is the building blocks. This is what we put out there, but they're really not far off from the other broadcasts. I know it's comparing apples and oranges, but I do think in three or four years time, we're not going to see too much of a difference, at least in terms of how people think about consuming the game and what they're willing to do. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a train track. You can, you can complain and you can think, but you can complain and you can protest all you want, but it's obviously been proven at least to me that that train's coming and it's not going to stop and slow down for anything. Amazon absolutely has a very good story to tell. Uh, Chad, the, that sh- that there are 57 people in public relations should be very happy about that. <laughs> um, I will say the one thing I might push back on with Kyle is I, I think we're still years away from 
any streaming service touching what a linear Sunday NFL broadcast can do. That said, like, you know, if the shift happens in terms of, uh, you know, millions of people, like, shift, you know, continuing to shift from, as we are seeing, from, you know, traditional cable, traditional television to direct to consumer, like, I don't know, maybe in 10 years that is the case. I, 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 just from my own personal edification, I'd be, I, I would be stunned if Amazon could ever get into like, you know, the high uh, double digit million teens. But I'm the first to admit, I'm not sure I saw these numbers off the jump. So I got to recalibrate my own brain for expectations. What about you, Chad? How do you see it again? uh, 11.7 million viewers per Nielsen for the, uh, for the Dolphins uh, Bengals. Uh, Kyle is correct though. Uh, I think bears commanders are coming up. So like reality, (laughs) reality will kick in at a certain point. Viewers. Yeah. What's the over under on that one? Seven somewhere around there. I've been wrong on my overrun, so I'm not even going to guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, just to, to 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 touch on the uh, follow up on uh, how the streaming compares to you know the the major network windows, a 425 window, and all that. I mean, just got a note from CBS that uh, Patriots Packers averaged uh, 24.6 million in the 425 window. So, um, and, and uh, they're averaging over 18 and a half million this year overall on CBS that's you know still what 50% higher than Amazon I think uh I think we all underestimated what Amazon was going to get and I still thought uh after that Chiefs Chargers game in week 1 that there was going to be a pretty significant fall off and then you look up and Cleveland Pittsburgh has over 11 million averages over 11 million which I, I didn't think they were going to have that kind of follow up so they yeah they have to be uh you know they they made promises about what they were going to average. And uh, um, I'm not sure we all bought those promises that they were going to approach them, but I think Amazon has to be feeling pretty good about uh, what they, you know, what they predicted they were going to get, what they said they were going to get and now what they ultimately are getting. All right, Kyle, I'm going to move around to a different topic here. Uh, I feel like I should have, if I had more, um, if there were more dollars, production dollars for this podcast, Kyle, I would have some really cool graphics and like some beeps or maybe like a like a very deep baritone narrator to come in to tell us we're shifting uh, topics. But uh, alas, uh, we're working on a shoestring here. So the um, uh, Live Golf has been in the news. There, w- there was a report from Eamon Lynch that said, uh, you know, they were seemingly very close to cutting a deal with Fox where they pay for the time time by basically they pay for the time for um fox to put live golf on uh yeah fs1 or fox uh, i think fox pushed back on that publicly um i'm not expecting that to sort of happen anytime soon but here's what i want to ask you like it's very clear that like live golf needs a television deal desperately um the they have no leverage in my opinion to get that deal nobody the anybody associated with the pga isn't going to touch them and then the those who don't have pga ties no full well, they're desperate. So why would you pay these guys any money for this product? Um, so that's point one. Point two is if you do bring them on, like it's a risk. I feel like it's it. You're gonna get a lot of negative attention. Uh, I give credit to Sports Business Journal Terry Leftins. He was talking about sponsors, like in terms of buying into the television time. Like that's a big risk for the sponsors. Like why on earth would you want to be associated with that product? So. 
Like, I think they're going to get a deal because everybody gets a deal. I mean, me, you, and Chad playing pickleball could get a deal <laughs> somewhere, I think. But, like, I just, I I don't know. Like, this, I wouldn't touch him if I was a big president in a place like this. But I think someone will touch him. How do you see Yeah, it? I mean, it's tough to imagine that what was reported is actually going to happen because that is such a glaring embarrassment for this venture, especially after Greg Norman was out there saying a week previously that there were four different networks just chomping at the bit, wanting to get involved. <laughs> sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. Right. I guess I guess there yeah. wasn't uh, wasn't honesty on that portion. I, I my my take on this is who could have possibly seen this coming? Because everything with Live has kind of seemed to be this day trading from the players taking the payday not really thinking about the long-term consequences, which are now quite severe from the PGA Tour. And I never thought that they had a plan because that didn't really seem important to them to have a plan because it seems like a money printing enterprise. And I genuinely wonder if turning a profit or even mitigating losses part of their business strategy. And I think that's an open question. I think that there is a landing place for live, um, I think something would be friendly to what is essentially the Let's Go Brandon League. Uh, I'm sure there's some ideology, some ideological fits out there that make sense. But in terms of being big, splashy, marquee coverage, I just don't think that the product is good enough. I don't think that the interest level is high enough out there. What are you actually selling? Like, what are you actually promising? to provide to a network. Someone who doesn't have golf and wants to get in the golf game could explore other avenues. Like right when this was picking up, you saw that Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods are partnering on that Monday night deal, which is a far more attractive property. So they've been beaten at their own game there. It's going to be on TV somewhere, but I think it's just the fact that we're even having this conversation as we embark and look forward to year two of live should be an opportunity for everybody to look at. I think this thing is going to fail and I really do. So I don't think that getting this media deal, whatever it is, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be a huge game changer for them financially, especially if the reported details is that they're paying for it at this point. So maybe it doesn't really matter and it's not this life raft that's going to save them. And uh, that's just too bad. That's an interesting take because they have, Saudis have endless amounts of money. So I don't, I don't know if it's going to fail. I mean, I guess there probably is a certain point where like, if you just continue to lose, I mean, I don't even know if lose is the right word. If you continue to expend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars every year, every year, every year, is there like a limit to where you'll go? But that, the, the Saudis have not necessarily ever sort of shown that there's not a limit. I don't quite frankly think there's any limit to them sports washing. I mean, I feel like that's an investment in their um, in their brand and what they want to do. In terms of Fox, I, yeah, I don't think Fox has any kind of moral compass when it comes to putting live on. I mean, they're going to Qatar. They've 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 did business with the Russians in uh, uh, for the so for the for the uh, for the World Cup. But I feel like, you know, every network's like that. NBC did business with the Russians for Sochi, and they were in China for the their Olympics. Uh, ESPN's doing business with the NBA, uh, who does business with China, one of the worst human rights abusers on the planet. So I feel like, 
lot of these networks sort of like become morally agnostic when 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 this all happens. Live is a tough one though, as Kyle says, Chad, in that you are absolutely gonna get hammered for putting them on, unquestionably. The product to me doesn't seem great, as Kyle said at the moment. Like uh, it, it, it's not like I mean, again, I'm not I know I'm not the audience, I'm not a big golf fan, but like there's nothing like like the masters or like you know the P- feels like an exhibition. Yeah, like the PJ Championship. Like that at least draws me because like it has history and it's kind of interesting. So like I don't even know why I'd watch Live unless I'm so into like you know Dustin Johnson or something like that. So I don't know. I'm like Kyle. Like I think they're gonna get a deal because everybody gets a deal. But man, like that just does not feel like any kind of attractive product at the moment. No, but it absolutely does have to get on linear television, and um, just because otherwise it really. When you have to seek something out and you have to go on YouTube or whatever, it can turn into an afterthought really quickly, no matter how much money it has behind it. Um, I always feel like this kind of a a window for new leagues or new sports and new versions uh, within a sport to really get their hooks into fans. And even with an endless well of money like like Live Golf has, um, you get to a point after a year or two where there's really not a lot of progress. It's not on television every week. And uh, suddenly you just don't think about it at all. And it does feel like an exhibition, even with all the big names out there and the huge prize money and all that. Um, it, uh, it, it doesn't carry the magnitude that it should. And part of that probably is that it doesn't have a normal TV deal. Part of it's the change in approach to make it kind of more cool i guess than uh the regular pga tour but um i i think they're i i don't believe greg norman at all when he says they were talking to four networks unless it was calling up four networks and getting hung up on by three of them uh immediately um but uh, it will be interesting to see if they end up with fox and if there's some sort of situation where they're actually paying to be on television because when they when you do that um you also usually end up with a responsibility for the advertising to be sold. And uh, that could be the, the the worst commercial breaks in the history of televised sports if that ends up being the case. Well, yeah, you could, by the way, you could always talk to anybody. Like you, I can call up uh, CBS news tomorrow and like talk to somebody and say, Hey, I talked to CBS news about myself. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, everybody's going to take the call from Greg Norman, but uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road is like, has any, money exchanged all right uh two more things i want to get to and let you go i didn't actually tell you i was going to bring this up to you guys but uh but you'll be able to handle it kyle uh, i'll put it on you first my god the athletic uh it's college football writers are obsessed with live live cut-ins of aaron judge it's as if someone has stolen their children kyle and uh and, and taken them away is that true i didn't know that yeah this stuff the, yeah this stuff does not bother me but again i feel like once again i'm in the minority like it's a cut-in it's like three minutes like is it the biggest deal in the world but to be fair college football fans are like i'm watching arkansas I'm whatever Ole miss what the fuck do i want to hear about aaron judge hitting a home run in new york where i don't even think this is the quote-unquote major league record so like i do see the other side but i cannot believe how big a topic this has uh, become on certainly on twitter and social media but also i will say in the pages of my own place like people uh We've had some college football writers who are just totally uh, like saying, you know, enough with this ESPN. How do you see it, Kyle? Get over it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's people <laughs> making names, a, mountain, a mountain out of a molehill. 
Like, yes, I'm sure that people are don't like it when it happens in the moment, but it kind of seems like one of these ready-made controversies where it's something to complain about. I will say it, it was a bad editorial choice to take the audio from the Yankees game. Um, it seems like a simple fix, like leave the audio on the college football game. And if yes, I agree with contact, that. I mean, you know, you got the technology switch over, get the call right there. Yeah. Like that's, that's what you're point. there for. And I understand why ESPN is doing it. They want to draw up interest. They have the playoffs. They want to get excitement going. It's, it, it's a business decision. And is, does it serve the audience? No, but I think I, I'm pretty young when it comes to this stuff as a whole, but I tend to, skew a little bit older, like live look-ins and studio updates. Like I remember that stuff from being a kid and I always enjoyed it. And maybe that's because we didn't have access to complete on-demandness where you could get everything you wanted the exact minute and you didn't have to see anything that you didn't want to see. It's kind of like watching commercials. To me, it's history. It's a very small diversion. And if they fix the audio issue, I can't understand why there would be any complaints. But I, I think that this is something that people have grasped onto uh, where it, it would annoys them a little bit. And maybe they'd mention it if they were watching the game and having some beers with someone, but it probably wouldn't be something that carried over to the next day where they were actually angry about it. It just seems like a stepping stone for content for me. And I completely understand why ESPN is doing it, even if a vast majority of people aren't there for it. All right, Chad, I know like, instinctively being a, uh, you know, working for the Boston Globe, you, you have to hate the Aaron Judge <laughs> cut-ins. But how do you like, you know, put your sports media hat on. How do you see this? Uh, I will once again point out Jimmy Pitaro grew up a Yankees fan, uh, which <laughs> this is how you get David Cohn, Michael Kay, and, uh, you know, A-Rod on the other broadcasts, but uh, that's probably not fair. But I, I like it. I've been watching all of them, um, you know, when the MLB network switches over, but I'm more of a baseball guy than a college football guy. And they, I know college football fans can be, uh, you know, pretty territorial about that sort of thing and uh, um, very focus specifically on their team and what they're what they're following at the moment so i kind of get it from that standpoint but i've i've enjoyed watching this um uh i uh, i've heard more michael k in the last two weeks than i have at any other point in my life and uh he's a very yankees specific broadcaster but uh conan paul neil terrific and uh it's it, i think the suspense is built here it's even more interesting now because he's got three games left to get this uh, as we call it in New England, the Yankees record. Um, uh, and uh, you, you don't know if he's going to get. It seemed like fait accompli at one point. So uh, I've enjoyed it, uh, but you know, I'm a baseball fan more than a college football fan. So Have, have uh, Kyle and Chad, have you, either of you gotten any pitches from uh, Ben Cafardo, who holds, who leads the uh, the baseball PR team at ESPN? Because I know they, they, they really would like to get publicity for the, for the wild card series. Kyle, have you gotten a, uh, any pitches? I'd like to not get into sources and methods, but yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> All right, Chad. Thank you, Kyle, for your honesty, as I have. Chad? Yeah. Uh, my last pitch from them was uh, NBA-related, uh, um, about some new technology or something they have coming up this year. I think they assume I'll be there anyway for the baseball We stuff. know that this podcast is transcribed weekly in, at the 860 area code, so it's, give give the Boston Globe some uh you know, some stuff. <laughs> All right. Lastly, um, let's do the NHL really quick. Season is starting very soon. Um, I, my view of this is always skewed now because I, having lived in Toronto for the last four years, 
even though, I, as I like to repeat for everybody in this podcast, yes, I remain American. I remain an American citizen and always and always will. Um, you get a little kind of like over hockeyed here, so you lose perspective on like it's standing in in the states because it's standing in Canada is very different than it's standing in the states. So. Um, I, I am interested to see how ESPN and Turner do in their second year of having the national package. I thought both actually had very, very good first years. You may like certain announcers. You may not like certain announcers. You may like certain studio shows. You may not like it. But overall, I thought they um, they really invested a lot in that product. And I thought they did. Um, I thought they were they gave hockey fans like a real shake at least in terms of if that's your sport, I feel like coverage-wise, you could find it and you could find it in depth. Um, so, Kyle, I'll start with you and then I'll end with Chad. Um, just your, your general thoughts, basically, about the year two for Turner and ESPN when it comes to the NHL package. I liked what I saw in year one. Um, it felt like they, maybe in terms of growing audience, that's an open question, but what you said in terms of serving the hockey fan, they did a really good job. I think, in particular, Turner in modeling their pre and post game coverage after inside the NBA was really smart and it worked. ESPN really ran a full court press. I know that's the wrong sport analogy here, but in terms of advertising, I think one thing I noticed last year was how much they pushed the NHL and how much they tried to make it happen. And I think this is the time we're really going to see if it is going to happen in America, because never before has this amount of resources been put into it. Never before have you really had the choices when it was on NBC or what was that outdoor network it was on versus, versus uh, Outdoor Life O-L-N. Network before that, right? Do I need to say RIP? Yeah, yeah. OLN. an RIP situation? Yeah. That's an yeah, long ago an RIP. Very very sad to hear that. But it was just you. It was just like we were talking about before, where people have to actively seek that out, and it's not something that comes across their transom while they're watching SportsCenter. Like, oh, I can watch Rangers Panthers tonight. That's a good one. So I think that the opportunity for growth is there. But even if that doesn't happen, I've been excited to see how they've served the diehards and kind of not pushed it off to the side because there was a time when ESPN did not have the rights where you could go a full sports center and you, maybe you would get quick NHL highlights in, in like the F block right before, did, you know, uh, jammed in there at the end. And now it's kind of seems to be, fun. <laughs> and I think the production of it has been really good and it makes the event seem bigger, which is always a challenge for these regular season games in any sport. I'm not sure We've solved that for baseball, but I think that the NHL felt like more of an experience, obviously not to the extent of the NBA or NFL, but it did feel like there was some juice there. And I found myself tuning in to hockey, which is something that I don't normally do if it's not Red Wings, if it was an attractive matchup, mainly to see the announcers because the announcers were really good and the studio teams were really good and covering media. It was it was good to see more voices and, and learn to appreciate things that they do that I hadn't really seen before. All right, Chad, I'm going to give you the final word, but before I do, just as we're taping this, Austin Karp has been on this podcast many times and uh, Sports Business Journal assistant managing editor, one of the uh, foremost uh, viewership experts in the country. He sends out that the NFL Network drew 4.62 million viewers for the Viking Saints. That's the network's best figure for a Sunday morning game from London in six years. 
So the NFL story continues to be very good, and that's a great rating because some of these previous games have done a little over 3 million, a little under 3 million. So to get 4.62 million viewers for Viking Saints, very, very big number for NFL Net. All right, Chad, we'll finish with you. Last word on this in terms of uh, your anticipation for the NHL broadcasts on uh, 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 as we head to the regular season. Yeah, um, we, I remember we talked about this at the end of the season, and I was in the minority uh, – as not being all that impressed with the, you know, with the way it went. I mean, I thought it was fine. It was good, but um, the, the bar that, you know, inside the NBA set, you could, as Kyle said, you could clearly tell that um, they were trying to do the same thing with the studio program, but uh, they, they have the same issue that every other studio program across every other sport has. They, they don't have Charles Barkley or a version of him. Um, I thought they tried to make Gretzky be a little funnier than he actually is. And I'm curious if that comes out of him more in year two, but they, they did develop pretty good chemistry along the way. I thought Paul Bissonnette was really funny um, over on ESPN. Uh, oh, one other thing with TNT too. I, I, the, the, the people that came over from NBC, I, I, I like the continuity there. I think I always thought Liam McHugh was really underrated and, and glad to see him continue in that role at TNT. And I, I, I wasn't thrilled with their, how it all went in year one, but I think their chemistry will be better this second season. With ESPN, it was just so, more than anything else, it was so good to see people that carried the torch for hockey at ESPN get the NHL back and, and see the happiness they had there, the Steve Levy's and Bucci Gross, Linda Cohen, people like that, Barry Melrose, um, who's been, who's been there since I think like 96 or something. So, um, ESPN was about what I expected. Uh, TNT got better reviews from others than they did from me, but, uh, going into year two here, I expect it to be better for both. Kyle Costner is the editor in chief of the big lead proud, uh, Michigan resident. You can follow his work at The Big Lead as well as on Twitter at Kyle Koster. That's K Y L E K O S T E R. Chad Finn is the sports media writer and general columnist for the Boston Globe. Uh, this was great. Kyle, I really appreciate uh, you coming back on and uh, best of success to everything you're doing. And Chad, as always, uh, thanks for making the time. And thank you both for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. All right, as I said at the top, Jay Adande is the director of sports journalism at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. He is, of course, a longtime sports columnist and on-air analyst. You've read his work at the LA Times and ESPN. You've seen him on ESPN. He is here today to promote the year's best sports writing, 2022. He is the guest editor of that book this year from Triumph Books. And we are taping this on the day the book comes out, October 4th, 2022. And I welcome back to this podcast, Jay Donde. Jay, congratulations. You're, uh, as I say, your baby's in the world. Thanks, Richard. I'm fired up. The book is out today. It's here. Delivery date, LFG. Let's do this. Everyone can go try and books or Amazon or wherever you want to get your books from. You even walk in a bookstore and buy it there. Uh, let's do this. Let's let's get this book. There's so many great works of sports writing in there, and I'm excited to share it with the world. All right. Um, before we start, I will just mention so people know I was part of Jay's advisory committee. He had like uh, five or six people from around the country who um, 
who submitted the like 20, 25 most impactful stories for them of the year. So that was a great uh, uh, privilege to work with J.A. So I'm very excited that his his book is out. So J.A., let's sort of start very, very big picture overview. Take my listeners through the process of how this works. How, what's the process of choosing the best sports stories of the year? Well, there are the submissions from like yourself and my the rest of the panelists included uh, Paolo Boivin from uh, who has a similar role as I do in Northwestern at Arizona State, uh, Greg Lee, uh, Ileana Limon Romero, the newly installed uh, president of the Association of Women Sports Media. Congratulations to her and the series founder and the and the the editor uh, over overall editor Glenn Stout. So I asked for submissions from all of you. And, um, you know, I put it out there on social media, uh, send your submissions. Uh, I created a, a email account, the uh, strictly dedicated to submissions. So, you know, I probably got close to 200 submissions through that email account. Um, you know, I asked each of you for at least 20. Um, so it was a lot to sift through. And what I realized is I better determine, uh, some type of criteria, what I'm looking for. And so I really looked for the sports writing element of it. Um, you know, it was about the writing and not the reporting. And so uh, it's kind of funny. Two notable stories that you won't find in my collection um, were the reporting of Baxter Holmes on Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns for ESPN.com and uh, Meg Linehan's reporting on the sexual misconduct in, in the National Women's Soccer League in USA Soccer. Um, that was for The Athletic. Uh, but I would say they they got their just rewards and that they got people up out of seats, right? Robert Sarver is uh, getting ready to sell his share in the Phoenix Suns. And we've seen us um, already. There there were some resignations already. And then we just saw this damning report that was issued um, by Sally Yates uh, regarding all the misconduct in USA soccer and uh, the NWSL. And so I'm sure there will be even more changes as a result of that. So that's that's sports journalism. That's journalism. Um I was looking for sports writing, writing that took you somewhere, uh, writing that grabbed you right away with the lead sentence and never let you go. And um, writing that provided an escape at times from reality or, or at least from the, the rest of the world, writing that reflected how uh, the real world interacts with sports. Um, so I, I certainly didn't want it to, to leave out all the problems of the world. And, and I think you'll see the aspects of 2021 very much reflected in this collection. Obviously, you can't escape from COVID, but it was the year that we started to go back to games, right? And it was also um, 2021 marked two decades since 9-11 in 2001. So there are a couple of pieces looking back to 9-11 to because that was a part of 2021 as well. Uh, um, so I really wanted it to be a, a look at the year in sports and those writing that best captured that year in sports. So I think one of the things about this book, Jay, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, is that like the reality is probably there'll be more stories from well-known places than sort of stories that are from smaller places. So you're going to see um, stories from, you know, places like, uh, the Ringer or ESPN or Sports Illustrated, the LA Times or Washington Post at the, the athletic, same right? at the athletic. At the same time, you really want to make sure that if there are some some pieces that were published at smaller places, particularly online, 
you don't want to miss them. And so how did you, as the editor, sort of navigate between, all right, this this piece was phenomenal. It was seen by a lot of people. It should be in the book. But at the same time, hey, here's a piece that just blew me away, but yet wasn't necessarily seen by a lot of people. So how did you sort of navigate that those two worlds? Yeah, that's where I really looked for the submissions from the panelists um, and and people themselves. You know, um, uh, if, if there was something that I might not have seen, but you want to submit to me, um, I was going to take that in consideration as well. Um, and so we, we certainly got some for that. There's one in particular, uh, the, the Zan Rice thing called the Depth Show Reach. Um, and that was through a website called Long Lead. And that, that, that's the one I would advise you to also go seek out online. And because the, it was just a beautiful, um, interactive online presentation. The, mo- the, mo- the rest of them is really about the words. Um, and this, I chose it because the words were outstanding, but that one also had a great, um, a great interactive experience. If, if you see it online, it's beautifully presented. Um, but that one popped up on a, I hadn't seen it over the course of the year, but uh, I noticed a few of you pointed it out to me and um, just an, an incredible piece of writing about someone who does uh, free diving, right? Deep diving without an oxygen tank. How much for you, um, how much did you think about um, having gender diversity in the book? Uh diversity all that racial yeah uh, yeah. you know racial uh, diversity uh, just in terms of ethnic lgbt Uh, so that's what i'm proudest of richard is that um if you're white black latino asian straight you know straight male straight female lgbt all these different elements aspects of our society you will see yourself between the writers and the subjects of the story um, there's tremendous representation. I think there's, I can't say for everyone, but I can say for a wide, you know, cross section of our society and the people that make up our society. I think there's representation for them in this book between both the writers and the subjects. And I'm extremely proud of that. And that was definitely a, a goal of mine and a target. And I think this will serve as proof that uh, diversity doesn't mean sacrificing quality. You know, it was about getting the best work from the widest array of, of people that I could. And, and I'm really proud of that. Um, that that's to me, the, the core of this book is that it's a representation of the diversity of our industry and the diversity of our society. One of the things Jay, that, uh, that I know you had to do was you had to decide on like the order of the stories. And so we were chatting before off air and you sort of said that you looked at it like a playlist. And that's kind of interesting to me because you know, I mean, you've been a columnist for a long time. You're obviously someone who goes on TV and offers opinions. I don't know if you've ever had to, you know, you never edited like a, like a, you know, a daily newspaper. You don't have to decide like story judgment and placement and stuff like that. But in this case you did. So how did you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I haven't really edited anything since I was the editor of the Daily Northwestern back in college 30 years ago. And, uh, but I have made playlists and I really did think of it as a playlist. You know, I, I used to do uh, CDs for my birthday with uh, either a song or a soundbite for, from every year of my life. I did that when I was in my early thirties and then I uh, got to be too, too old to, uh, <laughs> too many years to fit them all, all the years on a CD when we were still doing CDs. Um, but I really was very conscious of the, the order. Um, and one, one thing in 2021, it was still a pretty somber year. And so, you know, I would say there, there's some very serious 
subjects in here. There's there's killings and and you know thoughts of suicide and um, you know still dealing with the wake of of uh, of uh, COVID and so that kind of hangs over the book. But um, you know, so I had to be careful not to not to plunge too deep into a hole and like okay, if there's a couple really serious and weighty subjects here all right let's let's liven it up Let, let's have uh chuck culpepper's fun excursion uh trying to get to the the texas kansas game you know he was covering another game like in oklahoma or something and he's like you know what if i leave now maybe i can make it to the second half of this crazy texas kansas game and he makes it it's just kind of a whole fun wacky story um you got a guy covering a rodeo on an aircraft carrier and what that was like, um, you know, partly just it was one of the first events in person that he covered, but uh, he was also covering a rodeo on a uh, aircraft carrier. You can imagine that. So it was fun, you know. So so there's fun in there too. So I, so I wanted to to mix and match it like that, and just kind of have a nice um, change of pace and and change of mood as you go throughout the book. I started it with uh, Jerry Brewer looking at the uh, the Kentucky Derby and sort of how he's revisiting in his mind uh this essential part of his life as as a kid growing up in louisville uh, and now even though he no longer lives in louisville it's still a part of his life every year um and this is one so uh, there's a lot of my personal experience in this book and i'm not sure i would have let off with this if i had not attended the kentucky derby myself in 2021 uh i, I was able to take a, a group of students there thanks to the churchill downs for for having us and um i realized the Kentucky Derby is America. And reading this piece by Jerry Brewer, too, you, you realize the way the Kentucky Derby represents America and, and sort of the, you know, the grandiose nature of America and also the, uh, you know, the, the racial history of America. Most people don't know the original jockeys at Churchill Downs were all African-American. And then they were kind of phased out originally uh, or later on. Um, you know, if you go to to the back where where, where the stalls are, all you hear is Spanish, you know, all the, all the people working, tending the horses and and, and their stalls, um, you know, they're all Spanish speaking. Um, you know, the 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 wealth disparity, you know, the, there's that the millionaires row, so to speak, uh, you know, all the, the luxury boxes up in the, the grandstands above the grandstands. And then you've got like the, the college students and and people who don't have a lot of money on the infield. All of America. I think it is kind of comes into play and, and is represented in the Kentucky Derby. So I wanted to to lead off with that, a, a look at America. And and again, it's a really thoughtful, fascinating story by Jerry Brewer, just wrestling with the things that he still loves about the Derby and that he can't give up, while also the awareness of of some of the things that are problematic about it. And how do those yeah. two things and that's that's America, right? Like like we love it, it's great. Um and there's some problematic things. And then I ended with Giannis Antetokounmpo sort of marveling at the birth of his newest child. And, you know, Giannis was such a breakthrough athlete in 2021 and wins his first championship finally. And um, I, I, I do feel like there's a lot of down and negative aspects of this, uh, of the year in sports that year. And I just wanted to end with something hopeful. Like he's, he's brought to tears. It's just the miracle of childbirth. Um, so it's both an acknowledgement of the year that he had, but also kind of the way I wanted to end was this this uplifting, hopeful moment of this great athlete, this this phenomenal uh, physical specimen. And here he is just brought to tears by by the act of, of giving birth and and just wonder at, at his newest child. So I, I feel like it ends on an upbeat note. Yeah, that's really well said on the on the Derby. And I think you've uh, having been to the Derby uh, twice, uh, 
it really it really is a reflection of America uh, in many ways. I will say, uh, when I was young and went to the Derby as a college student, I certainly added to the uh, uh, white, the infield, white, right? Yeah, the drunken white males on the infield, <laughs> of which there were many. Um, I was on the infield to, too. I wasn't a drunken white. Well, I, I was a hungover black male. <laughs> the infield okay. of the Derby. There we go. I, I feel like I slept most of the day because because we we took a bus overnight down from Northwestern, and this time you know I got to experience it with a press pass where I could go everywhere. Um, you know, sort of. I, I mean, I watched the Derby from like the the. The, the infield, but but like right in front of the governor, basically. And I, I was walking on the track, um, yeah, that's amazing. you know, moments before the, the derby occurred. So like a complete opposite uh, extreme. Yeah. And shout out to my longtime uh, colleague, Tim Layden, who's uh, maybe the and, greatest. And, and lib- Tim Layden lib- uh, gave me some advice. And Pat Forty was kind of my tour guide there. And Pat Pat's in yeah. the book. And uh, he, ma- he made your book. He made yeah, the book. His, uh, he got to watch his daughter compete in the Olympics, the Olympics by virtue exactly. of being a sports writer. One of the things that I thought I figured, Jay, uh, having gone through this uh, process for you, is and, and you've, you're generally an optimistic person anyway, especially given your job at uh, at Medill. But does, does has doing something like this is it like sort of uh, I don't know, like does it make you feel good about the the future of long form sports journalism? Because you 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 know in a given year you see all this great work, and I don't know, it would make me think like, okay, yeah, like the industry is what it is, things are cratering, but people still find a way to like tell really, really impactful stories. Yeah. that I can't say that it's fallen off. You know, you, I think the work that you'll see in this book stands up with all the previous versions of the book. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I look back, so I was fortunate enough to make it in 1995, a story I did for the Washington post was selected. Um, Dan Jenkins was the editor that year. Um, you know, and I mean, I look at some of the other names. One of the things that's cool about this is like, you know, the company you keep. So like that year, my story was in between one by the great Gary Smith, the Sports Illustrated writer, and, and Dave Anderson, who won a Pulitzer Prize writing about sports for the New York Times. Um, you know, but, you know, Rick Riley's in there, Jim Murray's in there, all these great names, um, you know, and, and maybe the the some of the authors from this year don't have the pedigree, but the, the work is outstanding. You know, there's still so much quality work. And, and Richard, every year I see, you know, another batch of students that, that come here that they want to do this same type of thing. And I, I get to see, you know, at their best, they do, um, they, they do their master's project, which is a, a, a long form in-depth reporting project that they do sort of as the culmination of their time here for the master's students. Um, and there's been some outstanding work there. So, the future in that regard and optimism and, and um, the, the, the state of sports writing and long form sports writing, that, that's still in great shape. What I worry about is the, the platforms and the opportunities to, to publish these stories. That's been decreased. Um, that, that's one of the challenges. And that's, you know, it's hard because there are fewer places providing an outlet for this type of story. Right, Richard? So um, that was one of the challenges because it very easily could be just all ESPN and the athletic and sports illustrated because um, increasingly those are, those are the only places doing it. It's a little sad that, you know, we don't have the print product of sports illustrated as much as we do. We, we still have daily online. Um, you know, they're still doing their daily cover stories, but um, you know, there's some things that maybe would have been in sports illustrated that maybe don't get to see the light of day in the modern age. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's obviously someone who worked there for for many many years, and obviously uh, feels fondly about that place. I I do miss the fact that there's not a weekly it's not a weekly compendium, yeah. at least in print as a print product. Uh, when it comes to 
when it comes to these stories. All right, a couple more um, here. You Did you find that... Um, how do I sort of, I wanted to ask this. So you, you mentioned that you got like 200 or 250 submissions from people. Do you find that people will submit like one story or do they, do they submit like 20 stories? I'm like, here, uh, no, here's no my 20 best egregious. stories, Jay. Um, it, it was usually their best, maybe, maybe in some cases a couple, two or three. Um, but for the most part is one, so, you know, something that they're really proud of that they thought would, would fit the criteria. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say no. So some had, had no chance. Some had, um, uh, some had, uh, you know, came down to the last minute, like some were in and then I was like, um, I'm, I'm a little heavy. I'm going to take a couple out. Um, again, it also helped develop my criteria. So one was, I, I, I really wanted it to be about the current times and current athletes and the current figures in sports, um, and the primary figures in sports. So, um, you know, writing about a member of the sports media broadcaster or somebody like that, to me, that was kind of a disqualifier because, you know, let, let's focus, let's try to focus on the primary people here. So, so that, um, you know, I, I try to make it as easy as myself to, to sort of automatically disqualify people. There were some great stories there. There was a great story in the Chicago Tribune, um, about, uh, Steve McMichael, who's, who's, um, you know, dealing with Lou Gehrig's disease, um, and it was an outstanding story. It was a very moving story. But I'm like, okay, this guy played for the Bears in the '80s. You know, it's it's um, you know, I want I wanted stuff that was about current people and and current important figures in sports. Um, and it was hard to you know. It's, sometimes I had to say to my friends, you know, sorry, you didn't make the cut. Um, but I will say, as as hard as that was, it was nothing compared to the joy I got from seeing the joy from the people who made it. And uh, that's one thing about doing this in the social media age now is that um, on the day we announced uh, all the the authors who had made it and as they started to get their their copies of the book in the mail and uh, they would they would post photos or videos on social media and they were so happy and it was cool because the people in their circle were so happy for them and that joy um, over what's funny because it's not that big a deal right I mean it's just Guys like me and you, Richard, making the choice. So, I mean, who are we? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not distinguished or esteemed. And, um, you know, so it's, it's our say so. Um, but yet it, it recognition, you know, recognition from your peers, just being recognized. Uh, my, my friend, Mara Brock Akil, who I went to Medill with, who is a TV showrunner now in Hollywood. Um, but she talks about being seen, you know, that goes back to when we're an infant, we want our parents to see, look, mommy, daddy, look, you know, um, and that, that never goes away. And so the fact that someone else out there saw what you did and recognized what you did and felt it was worthy of inclusion in this collection that I'm, I'm seeing how that means a lot to so many people. And that, that's really cool that, that I could play a role in making people feel seen and, and making them feel joyous and the people that care about them are joyous too. Yeah, and uh, it's a you know it's obviously a profession that you do a lot of solitude, solitude, solitary work, and so to be seen and to get that recognition, I do think ultimately um, is important. All right, the final uh, um, the final area, Jay, I wanted to ask you about just because it's in the news is you um, you have a concussion legacy foundation person give a lecture every year at Medill, and obviously brain injuries are in the news. Um, because of Tua, actually, this podcast has a discussion of uh, of replays uh, in the segment that the 
we had earlier. So when you invite the Concussion Legacy Foundation people, J.A., to Medill, like what, what happens in that class and and what do they say? And obviously the, the end goal is to educate future sports journalists, right, on the nomenclature and exactly. just sort of how to report on this better and how to discuss it. Yeah, it, so much of that is about the proper terminology and avoiding uh, some of the the catchphrases that we've heard. Oh, he got his bell rung. You know, he's seeing stars. Like, no, it's much more serious than that. Um, understanding what the nature of a concussion is. Yeah, it is a brain injury. Brain, it's damage to the brain. You know, um, the, you know, there, there, there's no way of getting around that. If you suffer a concussion, you suffer damage to your brain. Um, you know, the natures of evaluating concussions, signs versus symptoms. It, it's funny because so much is wrong, and even by the people who are attempting to err on the side of caution. I find I, I found in the coverage of Tua, they, they were still getting minor things wrong. There's a difference between signs and symptoms, for example. You know, a sign is something that's outwardly visible. A symptom of a concussion is something that's internal that you would only be able to know, um, you know, from from hearing from from the person being honest with you, the, the person who suffered the injury. If they're being honest about what they're feeling and experiencing, that's the only uh, symptoms, true symptoms of a concussion. So what are we talking about? What are we describing Knowing the each and every league's um, uh, protocol for concussion is an important part of this. Um, so I want to give a shout out Brandon Boyd from the Concussion Legacy Foundation. He's the one who uh, who always does this. I, I, so the, the the lecture consists of a lot of examples of um, of you know sports media people who've gotten it right in their coverage. You know in real time as the, as they're analyzing and replaying the, these injuries. Um, and people have gotten it wrong, you know, and it's the, it's really about the, the do's and don'ts. And I was joking with Brandon Boyd, <laughs> sent him an email today that like, he could do the whole lecture this year, just on this Tua thing. <laughs> Cause so much of it, um, uh, a lot of wrongs, but I think we've seen some rights in the, in the aftermath. Um, but certainly there was a lot of criticism on, on the Thursday night game. It, it's funny, Richard, cause I, I just heard the, the, the podcast you did about the, um, the, the broadcasters. And or really the production team, I guess, behind it, um, you know, and uh, I'd, I'd be interested to, if you could revisit and, and OK, what they learned and, you know, maybe how they go about it uh, the next time. But, yeah. um, you know, but I would recommend, honestly, that that they put everyone through through this lesson um, that Concussion Legacy Foundation does and about how to best do this. Yeah, I echo that. Yeah, Fregadelli. Um, and Pierre Musa, that is a good idea actually to, um, to bring them back and to, and to sort of get their, their thoughts on, um, on that game and then sort of how they think about it heading forward. All right, Jay, as we close this up, uh, again, very, very exciting day. Today is publishing day. And so for people who are interested in this anthology, and I'm sure I have listeners who have bought these books for many, many, many years, how can, uh, how can readers go about getting this year's book? So, of course, the the easiest and the most obvious ones, of course, you can go to Amazon. It's been available for pre-order there, and now it's available for regular order um, at Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. They're online as well. Or from the publisher, triumphbooks.com. You can go there. The specific link is triumphbooks.com slash YBSW2222, YBSW22 after the slash, um, if you want to buy from the publisher. Uh, so those are, uh, three avenues that you have, or you can do it the old fashioned way go to a bookstore. Um, I haven't seen it in a bookstore. I'm looking forward to walking along and maybe seeing my work on a bookshelf somewhere. Um, but it's out, it's available wherever you get your books, uh, go buy it. Um, there, there's so many great works in there. And, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy that journey through, through 
and kind of remembering it, you know, we're already, things move so fast now that uh, only a year out, it's kind of fun to stop and look back at, at um, what the year was like in sports in our society. Well, Jay, listen, you did a great job. And, uh, and it was very cool just to have a, a, a little small, small part of this. Um, there's great writers in there from Jerry Brewer to my, um, to my colleague, Marcus Thompson, Miriam Fader's in there. Uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg, Sally Jenkins. I mean, there's, uh, again, there's um, Diana Moskowitz. There's really. You know, there's ones you'd expect yeah. and there's ones that I didn't yeah. even know about before yeah. the process started. There's no, there uh, yeah, there's no fifth starters in here, basically, if you want to use your baseball <laughs> analogy. Listen, Jay, I, I wish you the best of luck with this. I think people are going to, certainly people who love sports running are going to check it out and be excited about it. And, uh, so congratulations, and uh, and thank you for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. You will be back sometime in the future. Thanks, Jay. Thank you for your contribution to the book, and thank you for having me on today. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to uh, Chad Finn, Kyle Coster, and Jay Donde for coming on the podcast and uh, giving me their time and insight. If you like these conversations, head to the archives page. There should be some things you'll appreciate and enjoy. Podcast before this, we did coverage of Brett Favre, Mississippi's welfare scandal, and Ime Adoka's suspension. That was with Yahoo Sports NFL writer Shalise Manzi Young and front office uh, sports senior sports writer AJ Perez. Had Ashley Adamson and Lisa McCaffrey coming on about their new podcast about the most notable moms on the planet. Um, had Anna Wolf on uh, about the massive welfare scandal in Mississippi and uh, Brett Favre's involvement. Prior to that, uh, Fred Gidelli and, P- and director Pierre Musa. They are Thursday Night Football on Prime Video's executive producer and lead director. Before that, a conversation with Jenny Brentis of New York Times and Lindsay Jones of The Ringer. I'm covering the NFL. There should be things in the archives page that uh, you appreciate and will still hold up. As I said at the top, I want to thank uh, people for uh, weighing in on the uh, reviews page. Uh, Shout out to uh, at Barney STJ for uh, the nice words in terms of how long you've been listening to this podcast. And again, another super nice note from uh, uh, Jeff Radcliffe, who teaches at the uh, Dan Patrick School and Sportscasting. And I want to thank him for his nice words. And again, appreciate uh, appreciate you reaching out. As always, want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his uh, hard work for this podcast. Thank you to everybody who came to their team and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.